Matthew 19, or Matthew 6, 19 through 4. And the Pew Bibles are the New King James Version. Do not lay upon yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rest destroy, where thieves steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body would be full of light. But if your light is bad, your heart will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Good morning. It is good to see each of you, and if you are visiting with us, thank you so much for being with us. We hope that you can come back time and time again and that we can worship and serve God together for a long time. When you were a child, who taught you to be selfish? You know, when someone gave you a toy and maybe you were only a year old and claimed it as yours, and maybe another child tried to borrow it from you, and, and you kind of spat it at them and said, mine. Who sat down and said, now listen, I want you to become very possessive about your things. Well, most of us realize that no one has to teach us that, that the reality of much of our life learning how to become just the opposite. We spend most of our life learning how and striving to become someone that deals wisely. As a matter of fact, if you had good parents, it was though those good parents that spoke up immediately and began correcting you and saying things like, now listen, we need to share. Now that's given to you so that you can play also with the other boys and girls with that. You know, when we look at all the things that God gives us, I wonder how many of us have that same attitude, that it's mine, hands off. And it's interesting that of all the teachings in the Scriptures, the teachings in the Scriptures is that of stewardship and how we view the things that have been given to us and how God wants us to view them. As a matter of fact, there's not many topics in the Scriptures that's spoken of more frequently than that of stewardship. Now, that is not said to say that it's more important than other topics that we could study, but it is interesting to note that it's one of the most frequently given instructions in the Scriptures. So that lets us know, number one, it is of great importance, but number two, it makes me also wonder, why did God make sure that He said so much about it? Could it be that maybe He knew that we needed a lot of instruction in this area? Maybe he knew that there were a lot of things that we needed to learn, and maybe he knew that there was going to be a lot of struggles in our life in this area. For example, I would this morning and tell you that stewardship is more important than prayer. But it's interesting to note that according to one man's study, stewardship is mentioned five times more often than prayer in the Scriptures. I would suggest to you that probably for you and I to have the prayer life that we ought to have than to be the steward that we ought to be simply because of the amount of instruction 
Now we'll be looking at the month of September with many passages of stewardship. And we almost have to begin with an apology to say, even though we will look at it for an entire month, we won't be able to touch the hem of the garment of all of the scriptures that teach on this. And so we would encourage you to spend the rest of your life studying diligently. God would have you to be the person that He wants you to be in attitude, thought, in heart, and in action as it deals with stewardship. In 1928, there were a group of investors, the financial gurus of the world of that day that met in Edgewater Beach Hotel in Chicago. One was a president of a large utility company. Another was the greatest wheat speculator of his day, which was such a crop at that day and time especially. The president of the New York Stock Exchange, a member of the president's cabinet, the greatest bear in Wall Street, the president of the Bank of International Settlements, the head of the world's greatest monopoly. Articles were written in that day and time in newspapers and magazines revealing the secrets and the lives of these men. They were esteemed, and younger investors were encouraged to become more like these men. Business people in that day were hiding these men, holding these men in high esteem to say, this is what I want to become in my life. Let's take history and roll it forward a few years. Twenty-five years later, this would be a description of most of these men. The president of the largest independent steel company, Charles Schwab, lived on borrowed money for the last five years of his life, and he died broke. The greatest wheat speculator, Arthur Cutton, died abroad insolvent. The president of the New York Stock Exchange, Richard Whitney, served a term in Sing Sing Prison. The member of the president's cabinet, Albert Fall, was pardoned from prison so he could die at home. The greatest bear in Wall Street, Jesse Livermore, committed suicide. The president of the Bank of the International Settlements, Leon Frazier, committed suicide. The head of the world's greatest monopoly committed suicide. You see, the point is, all of these men, at least in one point of their time, figured out how to make money but apparently all of them struggled in how to live life. This morning, we've had so capably read for, for us a beautiful passage that Jesus gave to us. It's interesting. It's the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And if we take the way that it's broken down in our Bibles and we look at the 6th chapter, the majority of the verses in the 6th chapter deal with possessions. And Jesus gives us some beautiful lessons about who will master our life. What would you do for $100,000? What would you do for a million dollars? What would you do for $10 million? The Day America Told the Truth is a book written by James Patterson and Peter Kim. Of the people they researched, 25% would abandon their entire family for $10 million. 23% said they would become prostitutes for a week or more for $10 million. 16% said they would give up their American citizenship. 16% said they'd leave their spouses. 10% said they would hold testimony and let a murderer go free. 7% said they would kill a stranger. 3% said they would put their children up for adoption for $10 million. Friends, when we hear things like that, we're finding out already who is the master of those people's lives. 
when individuals says, I would turn my back on God for this amount of money. I would disobey and reject God's will for this amount of money. We already know what they are. What we're finding out is what is the price. Is it for $100 or $100,000 or for $100 million? Can you honestly say this morning, it doesn't matter how much money anyone would ever offer me, I would not turn my back on God. Let's look again at this passage. In Matthew the 6th chapter and verse 24, no man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and he'll despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Here the Lord teaches a master lesson to us about masters. And we know what a master lesson is. If we were to take in several classes, we're going to be teaching the same lesson. One could give a master lesson to each instructor, and they would carry on, and they would teach the same thing. And so Jesus has gathered together His disciples on the Sermon on the Mount. And He's going to give a master lesson that wasn't just for those people in that day and time, but we could come almost 2,000 years later. And it's the same lesson that we need to learn today. And it's the lesson about masters. And what is it? The first thing that I need to learn is that the Lord says you can only have one master. Now, I need to recognize this analogy because if I'm thinking about a boss, an employer, an employee relationship, that's not always true. For example, there are you here today that you have two employers. I was talking with a woman just yesterday, and she says, I work two jobs. You see, it's possible to go to work for one person one day of the week and another person the other day of the week and serve both of those employers, and both of those employers be perfectly happy with the fact that you have two employers. We're talking about masters here. The Lord says, I want you to realize there's only one master, and in the relationship of the master and the servant, the master had control of that individual's life. That servant, if they were an obedient servant, placed themselves in full submission. There'd be no such thing as a man that would be a master that would be a servant to this master and then a servant to another master. And so here the Lord says, I want you to realize that there's only to be one master in your life. And then He uses strong words, love or hate, loyal or despise. You see, we're going to love one master. We're going to hate the other. We're going to be loyal to one master, and we're going to despise the other. Now, as we think about this, we think about the importance of whether or not the Lord is the master of our life. Do you remember the young, rich ruler? Remember the Lord was telling him there was one thing young man's life. There's no reason for us to believe that this young man wasn't sincere. And so in sincerity, perhaps, he answers the Lord, I've done all of those. From my childhood up, I've done thing thou lackest. What does he mean there's one thing? In other words, is this the one thing everybody lacks? No. Life of this man, and he knows the heart of the man, one thing now that's separating you from God. In other words, I'm not your master yet. But he says, if you can take care of this one area, and if you can change masters, you have it made. What is it? What is the one thing I can give up? He says, right now it's your possessions. They're separating you from God. 
And so he says, take and sell all that you have and give to the poor. And a sad, sad verse in the Bible is where he turns away sorrowful, for this man had many possessions. You see, the point of that story is to help us realize we can't allow anything to separate between us and God. And so oftentimes it is possessions. And when it is possessions, in that sense, we've become a participant in a form of idolatry. We've allowed something other than the Almighty God to become the ruler of our life. If you will, turn with me to 1 Timothy, the 6th chapter. 1 Timothy, the 6th chapter, helps us to understand a, a little bit about what life would be like if God is our master. And then we can read a few verses down further and we can see what it is if money is our master. In 1 Timothy, the 6th chapter, let's read verse 6, 7, and 8. And let's think about some things that are taught here if God is our master, how wonderful things will be. Verse 6, he says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. See, he's using financial terms there. It's great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. Now, as we think about the things that God provides for us when we allow Him to be our master, the first thing is He provides great gain. What is great gain? Godliness. When individuals say, I'll give my life pleasing God. No matter what God wants to do, no matter what He says to avoid, I want to avoid. I want to become a person that has a close relationship with God. Godliness. And what? And contentment. Notice, godliness describes us as a person. Contentment describes the way we view all of the things of which we possess. Are we like a baby that says, My possessions? Or can we say to God, your possessions? I simply want to use them as tools in service to you. Do we really believe that that's great gain? Run through this little exercise in your mind with me. There's, there's nothing that we can't hype it up. It's not that kind of illustration. But if you'll do this, maybe it's a good test for all of us to take. What if God appeared to us right now he flips out the checkbook. And you know he's got the funds because it all belongs to God. And God says, I'm going to let you make a choice today. Like Solomon offered to him, you ask for anything, just ask for one thing. Similar situation in today, I'm going to give you the choice of one thing out of two. Today you can choose to have a godly life and to be content with what you have. Or... Or, I'll write you a check. But in our little scenario here, you can't have... If you choose the check, you're choosing to go against me. But I'll give you the check for however much money you want. God, are, are you talking like 100000 He says, you name the price. You mean you would turn me into a millionaire right now? You name the price. Wait a minute, God, a lot of people have a million. What about a hundred million? I can, I can write a check for a hundred million. But Lord, I'd like to kind of be listed with the, the most wealthy people each year in, in Forbes or Money Magazine. Okay, ask for a hundred million. Well, you're going to need more than that to be listed there. Ask for a hundred billion. Lord, do you realize I might could buy a third world country for that? Yeah. How much you want?
Let's hope and pray that this morning we would say beyond any shadow of a doubt, Lord, I want great gain. What you've offered over here is not great gain. I want great gain. Great gain comes from living a godly life, saying your will be done in my life. And Lord, contentment. Whatever possessions you have chosen to place in my hands, I want to deal righteously with those. And I'm not going to spend the rest of my life wishing for what I would do with possessions I do not have. God's not concerned about what you would do with a million dollars you don't have. He's concerned with about the dollars that you have in your pocket right now. He's not concerned with all the opportunities that you would fulfill. If those opportunities would ever come your way, He's concerned with the opportunities that He's giving you right now. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Every one of us here this morning have seen people sitting in a house much smaller than ours, happy and content. Every one of us have seen people driving cars that are less valuable than the car you're driving, and they were happy and content. All of us have seen individuals with situations that we'd say, I'd hate to have to change situations with them, but yet they were happy and content. What's the point, God? And he says, true contentment isn't about how much you own. True contentment is about your attitude toward what you own and what you don't own. Six, we see that he spoke of a great gain. In verse seven, he implies a great vehicle. You know, an investment vehicle. You see, he points to the fact we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we'll take nothing out of this world. How does your financial portfolio compare to Bill Gates? Well, you know, it's almost a joke if you're anything like me. I mean, there's no comparison to the lifestyle and the decisions and the power that comes with that kind of money. There's no comparison. But you know what every one of us have in common with Bill Gates? He came into this world naked, and he's going to leave this world with absolutely nothing. Every one of us were born from a womb naked, and we'll leave this world with absolutely nothing. Well, now, wait a minute. I thought you said this verse teaches us about a great investment vehicle. It's implied there. In other words, we can't take it with us, so how can we use our possessions so that it is a great investment? We send it ahead. And that's what we'll look at either later on in this lesson or you can come back tonight and we'll finish this lesson. But the point is, we're going to see back in Matthew the 6th chapter, there's a great investment vehicle. But it's not hoarding it up. It's not taking it with us. It's sending it ahead by using all that we have in God's service. But then notice verse 8 still here in First Timothy the 6th chapter. We also see a great security. Tremendous security. Why? We just sung a song a few minutes ago. I'm satisfied with just a cottage below, a little silver, a little gold. You think it's wrong to tell a lie? You think it's wrong to sing a lie? Did you just sing that song? Did you sing the truth and praise to God, or did you sing a lie to praise God? That doesn't sound right, does it? Are you really satisfied on this earth with just a little cottage or would you like a lot more than a cottage? Are you really content with a little silver and a little gold? The Lord's teaching us about possessions here. 
And he's talking about how to have that great gain. And what God is trying to get us to do is to realize that the things that matter most aren't tied to possessions. The things that matter most aren't tied to possessions. Whatever it is materially that you may believe, if I could ever achieve that, I would be satisfied. If that is your driving force in life, I can assure you through Scriptures beyond no doubt, you won't be satisfied once it's achieved. But now let's read the next two verses. That's what we've just seen there. We can have security. We can have a great investment vehicle. And we can have great gain if God is our master. But now let's read the next two verses. We're still in 1 Timothy, the sixth chapter. Look at verse 9 and 10. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in their destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all... Now you notice kinds of is in italics. That's addition to the text. It, the original text is the root of all evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. I believe the best way to study these texts is just to lay it out there just like it's written. Let's look at these next two slides and notice they're parallel here, but it is powerful when we look. When money is our master, notice the first thing that we read about is those who desire to be rich. In other words, if that's what's driving our life, what is it that you want in your life? I want godliness with contentment. Can I say that that is the driving force in my life? Or do I honestly have to say, you know what's been on my mind the whole lot is getting something else. Oh man, I've been thinking about this latest model. I've been thinking about this bigger. I've been thinking about this greater investment vehicle. What is it that's driving our life? If my desire is to become rich, I don't know of the Bible that has more negative descriptions in what is an average length verse than anywhere in the Bible. Now you notice this verse right here. Notice all of these negative descriptions. For someone who desires to be rich, they fall. The word fall here literally means to be entangled. In other words, it's the idea of being tripped up. And so just to desire to be rich, not... Notice, we don't read of a poverty theology and we don't read of a prosperity theology. We don't read in the Scriptures where it's a sin to be poor. We don't read in the Scriptures where it's a sin to be rich. What we read in the Scriptures is what is the in our life. Is God our master or is money our master? And here, the teaching, he's saying, if money is your master, if the desire to be rich is what is driving you, he says, you're entangled. And then it's interesting here when we look up the word temptation. You know, if you... You do a quick word study on temptation. It is that involves adversity. You want to be rich? That's driving your life? You've entered into Satan's arena. You've fallen there, so you're entangled. And you see, the next description is a snare. You're even trapped there. The idea of a live animal that is being held against its will. And you know what Satan's doing? He's soliciting. I wonder how many of you have ever walked the streets in Gatlinburg and you've fallen for that old, hey, we'll give you $50 cash if you'll come in and let us show you our new timeshare program. 
I remember one day Tracy and I were walking the streets and it started pouring down raining and we ducked under this little awning and that's what we heard over our shoulder. Like, what? $50 cash? Nah, it's okay. And of course, we're still standing there and he keeps on and keeps on. He's like, you don't have to buy it. All you have to do is say no, but $50 cash takes 30 minutes. We're still waiting. It's hard rain. We said, okay, let's get on it. Let's do it. You know, you get in there and they show you how beautiful it is. You see, that, that ties in to desire. That's what lust, that ties into desire. Then they bring you back in that back room and you feel enclosed. You feel trapped. And then what do they do? They begin to solicit you. Now look, and you can do it on these kind of payments or you can do it for this term. And think what it's going to do for your family, that your family comes together once a year for a full week and you can choose these locations across America. Oh, I'm not saying it's wrong to buy those. It may be great for your family to buy those. But... I think most of you that's been in that situation would have to agree that for a little bit of time while you're in that back room with no windows in it and you hear three or four other groups going over the same thing, it's kind of like, whoa, man, I'm, I'm being trapped back here. You know, and you say, no, no, thank you, I'm not interested. You don't just get up then. That's the closing again. No, 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 I'm not interested. Then the closing again. No, no, I'm not interested. Then it's kind of a mad closing. And then the final time, no, I'm not interested. Well, you came in here for the $50, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> How does Satan work? Please get this point. He's not saying to be rich. You and I can be in poverty, and we can be entangled because it's that drive, that lust, to be rich. Well, we say, I'm going to go make an extra dollar. And it doesn't matter how many Sundays I miss worship. I'm going to go and bring in more income, and I don't care how many Bible classes I have to miss. I'm going to go build up my portfolio, and it doesn't matter if I see my family or not. Friends, that's Satan inviting us into his little back room. And he's soliciting us. And he's showing us all the good things that can come out of this. And the truth is, we're like a wild animal that's in a cage just banging the sides. And what's going to happen? We're going to go into destruction and we're going to go into perdition. And notice the description there. Drowning. In other words, we're in this trap and Satan won't let go and we're losing our soul. Lord, how do I get out of this trap? And he would say, go back to godliness with great, with contentment. It's great gain. You can be released from that trap. But as long as our desire is riches, we find ourselves in that trap. As we look at Matthew, the sixth chapter, Let's skip two slides and let's go and put a closing on this verse 24. Let's back up once. There you go. Notice the last line on here. He said at the end of 24, you cannot serve God and mammon. Friends, he, he didn't leave it as an option. He says you can not. We have to decide. Lord, 
I'm going to give my life wholly to you. I don't know if that'll make me a millionaire or if it'll make it so I'm an average middle class. But God, when I give my life wholly to you, whatever you choose to give back to me, I want to be content. Or we could go on the other hand over here and say, I believe I have what it takes. I believe I can build the biggest business. And it doesn't matter if I have to sacrifice God. It doesn't matter if I sacrifice family. It doesn't matter if I sacrifice friends. I want it. I want the biggest. I want the best. I want more of it. The Lord says, okay. You can have one or you can have the other. But you cannot have your master as God and mammon. You'll love the one and hate the other. You'll be loyal to the one and you'll despise the other. Here's what I want in my life, and I'm not there. But so much I want in my life is I want to build a life that I love God so much that if I had to class or rank material possessions, they would be on the very bottom in comparison to God. If I had to describe a loyalty, someone says, well, why don't you just go out and be involved in this? Why don't you go and build this up? That I would immediately think, how's that going to affect my relationship with God? Because I'm loyal first and foremost to God. And notice, not that the material thing is wrong, but please get this as we close. Our loyalty to God is so much that if that material thing hurt our relationship to God, we can honestly say, I despise it. I want to grow to the point that I can say, a million dollars, if that hurt my relationship with God, I despise it. I wouldn't have to bat an eye and say, absolutely no. Give me godliness. Give me contentment. Give me love for God. Give me loyalty. But don't ever, God, give me something that I'm going to start despising you. That I'm going to start hating you. No man can serve two masters. Either he'll love the one or hate the other. Or else he'll be loyal to one and despise the other. But you can not serve. God and mammon. Tonight, let's finish this lesson. We're going to go back to the same chapter and we're going to look when godly people have motives and means and trust and priority. This morning, who is your master? You know, it's a big thing among our kids right now. You know, they're on the basketball court and one of them makes a fancy move on the other and puts the ball up and he turns around to his defender and he says, Who's your daddy? And if you got kids, you've heard that one more than once just yesterday. You know, the Lord is saying here, He's gathered a group of people on the mountain. And He's saying to them, Who's your master? God knows the temptation we have back in Satan's back room. God knows it. 
And He's saying to us, you have to decide. It's all of me or none of me. This morning, if you've never given your life to the Lord to allow Him to become the master of your life, it's wonderful. We don't know exactly what will become of it, but something grand will happen if we give our life fully to Him. It may not be all the things we envision, but we can rest assured it's going to be better than we ever envisioned. If you've never been baptized into Christ for the mission of your sins, won't you come seeking to make your life whole and right with God to be saved this morning? Maybe you have been baptized and somewhere along the way you've lost focus. Maybe even changed masters. This would be a wonderful time to come back to the master again. A master that's fair and just, gracious and merciful. The other master will beat us down. It gives us a lot of insecurity, a lot of disappointments. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.